The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. You can find that in the Black Pew Bible in front of you on page 800, or it will also be on the screen behind me. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches heart knows what is is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at um, rock-solid promises that come from God's Word that we can build our life on. And over the last few weeks, we've, we've looked at the rock of presence in times of fear, where God promises to be with us. We've explored the rock of power in times of doubt, where God promises to give us direction, even in the, in the midst of very dark and difficult circumstances. And last week, we explored... Um, the rock of deliverance in times of temptation. And what I've been encouraging you to do, and I I hope it's been beneficial, is to take the verse that we focus in on. uh, Today it will be Romans 8, 28, and to to copy that into your calendar and let it come up at least once a day, every day for the next seven days, so that it begins to sink into your heart and into your mind. The scripture encourages us to hide God's word in our heart. And I cannot tell you how powerful it will be if you will try this. You will find God speaking to you in in times when you greatly need it. So let me encourage you to do that. Well, today we're going to look at the rock of goodness, God's goodness, in times of hurt and despair. Have you ever come to the the point in your life where, where you would define it as despair? Despair, according to the, to the dictionary, means to lose all hope, to lose all confidence, to not be able to, to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel at all. 
Everything before you just looks incredibly dark and difficult. Despair is a reality that you and I face. It's part of the human experience. In, in the Middle Ages, uh, John Donne had a, a great quote where he said, despair is the damp of hell, just as joy is the serenity or peace of heaven. When, when that's where we find ourselves, it's incredibly difficult to get out. There's a, there's a wonderful story um, that was written about 300 years ago called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And, I don't, and it's been translated into many, many languages. And he wrote this in prison. And it's, it's, it's an allegory. It's a story about the Christian experience. And, and if you've never read it, I really want to encourage you to do so. Or at least to watch the video. There's a new movie, an animated movie that, that just came out uh, uh, earlier in the year. And you can find it. This is a shout out just for Henry. You can find it on Amazon Prime. So there you go. Amazon, you go. Or I'm going to show you a little clip of it. But in, in the story, Christian, who is the, the main um, character, goes through all the experiences that you and I encounter in the Christian journey. One of the dangers that he faces is called the swamp, or in, it's written in Old English, so it was called the slough, but it means a swamp of despondency, where you're just feeling a weight upon you, and, and it feels like you're stuck in quicksand. You just can't move. But one of the greatest enemies that he faces is the giant despair, where he loses all hope. And I want to show you a, a little clip from that movie, and then we'll build off of that. So let's play the clip. Alright. Why didn't she just kill us? Just get it over with? Because she can't. What? Did you see her hands? She could crush us with her little finger. That's just it. She... They can, but... They can't. Why didn't I see it before? I really have no idea what you mean. Look. Up there, near the ceiling. What do you see? Skulls. A big skull, a bigger skull. No, in the middle. The coat of arms. It's the name of this realm, this castle. Des... Desperatio. The castle of despair. That's why they want us to kill ourselves. That's why we can't get out. Wait, I don't think I understand. What did the giant say? I gave you everything to do the job. Don't you see? They can't kill. They can only make the situation so miserable that you do it yourself. There's always been a way of escape for you, hasn't there? There's got to be some way out. There's got to be. It will get dark. No hope. No hope. No hope. No hope. That was me. 
That was me in the cage. Now I'm the one in the dark. What is the opposite of despair? I don't know. Um, hope. What is that? The way out. <laughs> You'll have to rent it and find out what happens. There's some, there's some really great truths hidden in there. Last week I told you that temptation was an illusion, that it offered something that it, it could not deliver. The enemy likewise uses despair in our life but he does not have the power to destroy us. He only has the power to so distract us away from the goodness of God that we lose all hope. But there is always a way out. When we are able to fix our eyes once again on the goodness of God, we discover that the despair will begin to lift the depression, the weight that we are worn under will begin to part just as the clouds hide the sun. So often despair and depression makes us lose sight of God, but he's still there. That's what we need to remember is that no matter how dark it seems, God is still there and God is incredibly good. The experience of despair is found all through the scripture. And so it doesn't in any way make light of our times of discouragement, of depression. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon put it this way. He said, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not work for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Sometimes it feels like we're working and not accomplishing anything that really matters. That's a part of what Solomon was saying. The prophet Jeremiah is maybe the person in the scripture who is most familiar with despair. He's called the weeping prophet. He stood alone, faithful in Israel during the captivity of Babylon. Um, there were other faithful prophets, but he was the only one left in Jerusalem. All the rest of the prophets that we see in the scripture were taken away into captivity in Babylon. But Jeremiah is left on his own, surrounded by the enemy, with people who are broken and sinful all around him. And he writes in the book of Lamentations, he says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God brought light into the life of Jeremiah, even in the midst of feeling totally abandoned. He learned two very important truths about despair. Number one, the Lord is good. No matter how the circumstances look, God is good and he is good all the time. Secondly, he, God shows his goodness to those who wait for him. I don't know if there's any call in the scripture that is more difficult for me than to wait. Some of you may be really, really good at it. 
It is not something I'm good at. But the promise is true. God is good for those who wait for him. And we need to understand, I learned this truth many years ago, and it was, it was really like a light going on for me. Sometimes we wait, not because we've been disobedient, not because God is delaying for some reason to, to necessarily change us. Sometimes we wait because God's plan includes other people in a way that they need to be at the place where God is calling them in order for us to also move ahead. The great example, Preston um, uh, referred to this a couple weeks ago when he talked about Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the faithful spies of Israel that went into the promised land and saw and believed that God would deliver into their hands. The other 10 spies saw only the, the enemy. They saw only the clouds, only the despair. And Israel listened to the, to the voice of despair and unfortunately, all of Israel, except for Joshua and Caleb, died over the next 40 years. Joshua and Caleb were faithful. They knew where the Lord was going. They believed he could get them there. But it wasn't God's will to get Joshua and Caleb to the promised land. It was his will to get all of Israel to the promised land. And so, yes, they had to wait for 40 years, but it was worth it. And that's the truth for us as well. Well, in Romans 8, verses 27 through 30, we have some great assurances of God's goodness towards us. Let's look at that, the first few verses again that Rindy read for us. Verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That you should hang on to right there. It's incredible what, what that verse says. It says the Holy Spirit is praying for you right now according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those whom he foreknew, excuse me, to good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In verse 27, we see this great promise that the Spirit is praying for us even when we don't know how to pray. And that is incredibly comforting to me. Because there are oftentimes circumstances that I'm walking through where I don't even know how to pray for myself or for others. But I claim that promise that God's spirit is interceding with, with utterances that are too deep for words. In verse 28, we discover that all of our bad things that happen to us will be redeemed and turn out for our good. Isn't that cool? In, in verse 29, we find out that our good things will never ever be lost because we're being made more and more like Jesus Christ. So whatever is bad gets redeemed. Whatever is good gets transformed. And then in verse 30, we're told that the best things are yet to come because we will be glorified in Jesus. We will reflect his greatness and his goodness. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. 
So that's what I want you to do. We're going to look at that verse. I want to encourage you to look it up in your Bible app right now, Romans 8.28. Copy it in your heart language, your favorite translation. You don't have to use the one that we're putting up on the screen. You can, you can pick one that you like better. Um, no judgment. So we'll go with that. I want to encourage you, put it in your phone, put it in your calendar for the next seven days. And let's stand up and let's say this proclamation of promise together. This is what God promises to you and I if we love him and live a called according to his purpose. Let's say Romans 8, 28 together. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's God's word. Do you believe it? If not, my prayer is today, you'll walk away from here with a deeper trust in his promise. You can be seated. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this. First of all, this verse does not say that all the things that happen to us are good. Quite the contrary. Horrible things happen. In fact, when we go on, as Rindy read for us, we, we, we hear about um, death and despair and, and, and fame, famine and all kinds of horrible events that can happen in our life. They're not good. They're evil. They're the result of sin. What it says is that God will turn even the bad things into good. He will redeem even the brokenness, the pain, the loss in a way that shows his greatness and accomplishes our good. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what kind of trial, what kind of uncertainty, what kind of brokenness, if you love God, if you live according to his call, if you wait for him, he will begin to take that and turn that into something good. Something that is beneficial for you, beneficial for others, and will proclaim God's greatness. The psalmist put it this way. Psalm 27 verse 13 says this, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And isn't that what we need? I need a promise that, God, you are going to bring hope now. I may not see all of it. I may not see how it ultimately is going to serve your purposes and my good. But I need a little glimpse in the land of the living. I love David who wrote this, his honesty. He was called the man after God's own heart, anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel, a giant slayer, but no stranger to suffering. He's saying, I would have lost it. I would have broken down if I had not believed, if I had not looked upon God in whom I trust. Notice the phrase that I would see. David believed that he was going to witness God's work. He wasn't just going to hear about it. He was going to see God's goodness with his own eyes. That should be our prayer as well. When we're walking through times of despair, of hurt, of uncertainty, we need to pray, Lord, I want to see your goodness with my own eyes. I know you don't owe me an answer, but I believe that you are good. 
And I believe God will answer those prayers. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, I will not despair because God is always good. His promises are working for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But life is hard. It's difficult. He doesn't say all things are good. Evil, pain, hardship are very real. But God can and will redeem it in the life of a believer. And that is our hope. We live in a world that is filled with suffering. And oftentimes, skeptics will ask, how can an all-powerful and all-good God allow so much suffering? Let me give you at least a portion of an answer. The reason that he does is you. It is you and it is me. If God was to eliminate evil, he would have to eliminate us. But God in his patience and his goodness is willing to endure just as creation groans for the, the adoption of the sons of God, sons and daughters of God, creation is placed under a curse, under a burden because of the sin of humanity. God in his patience allows suffering and evil because he loves you and I enough to be patient in his judgment to allow all who will turn to him to repent. That's ultimately the answer. It is for our greatest good that he allows evil and suffering. God does restrain evil. He doesn't allow it to completely go unchecked, but he does allow it because he allows for us. If humanity was left to its own devices, it would destroy itself. We look at the conflicts that we see in our world. And and right now there's, in continent after continent, we see all this unrest that's creeping up in South America, in the Middle East, in Africa, all over. There's this incredible um, violence. If humanity was left to its own, we would destroy ourselves. But God, in working his eternal will, has stepped in to destroy evil at its root by giving his son to pay the price that sin deserved, our sin deserved, my sin deserved, death. We are born choosing sin and we continue to prove that we are sinners by choosing to sin. But God provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. He alone is worthy, just as the song we, we sang. He is the only one worthy to open the scroll and fulfill God's purpose and God's plan and bring the rescue that humanity and all of creation so desperately needs. Now, we need to remember also, when we read through the Bible, sometimes it can be confusing, but we need to remember that the purpose of judgment in the Bible is to bring people to repentance. That is also the purpose, by the way, of grace. God exercises both judgment and grace in order to bring us to repentance. 
In a similar way, God uses suffering to draw people to himself. He is not the cause, but he will use it for his glory and ultimately for our good in order to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, let's try to get practical for a couple of minutes because um, I'm running behind. I've shared this truth with you many times. It came from a dear friend of mine, a pastor um, who shaped my life in incredible ways. Both his life, his ministry, and his death have been transformative. And he used to say this often, if we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants. It's from Rick Ferguson. Now, over, over the years, I've added a little bit more to it. If we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants, and we would always wait for God's timing. That truth is something you can hold on to. God knows what is best. So how do we focus in on God's goodness in times of despair? I want to give you four looks very quickly. Number one, we need to look in. In order to really see that God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, we need to look in. God is changing you through this trial, if you will allow him. The difficult circumstances that tend to define us, God uses to refine us. The difficult circumstances, think about your life. Chances are the great turning points in your life were times of difficulty, loss, and trial. And they have a tendency to define who you are, sometimes in a very negative way. But God's will is to take those same circumstances and transform us, to make us refine, to shine like gold. God uses trials and suffering um, to expose the idols in our life, the things that we, like we looked at last week in temptation, to reveal the things that we're trusting in more than him. But God also uses trials and sufferings to draw us closer to him and to become more like Jesus. Think back to those those difficult circumstances and trials in your life. How did God change you through the midst of those? I want to share an example. Becky and I were talking about this a little bit this this week. And um, one of the people that I admire most is my father-in-law. I've never, ever met him. His name was Don Ellis, and he died about four years before Becky and I met. But he was a man of great integrity and love for the Lord. He was a successful businessman. He had a wonderful family. And God, in, in his wisdom, chose to take him home when Becky was 17. He died of a, of a heart attack. And that event in their life, the life of their family, in the life of the business, in the life of many others, was a turning point. It changed the trajectory of so many things that happened in their life. And now, because it's been over 40 years, we can kind of trace and see at least some of the good that God was accomplishing through what was unimaginable for that family. And I believe you can look at similar circumstances and see that God works in the same way. One of the things that God did in that, that circumstance is about a week before 
um, Don passed away, God began speaking in, in dreams to, to Becky. He hasn't done that very often, but simply saying this truth. Precious one, that's what he calls her in her prayers. I want to love you like a father. And night after night, that truth would be whispered into her heart. It didn't make sense at the time, but when her dad passed away, it began to become a new reality because God showed her how to love him with the same kind of love which with she loved her earthly father. That transformed me and gave me an understanding of God as a father, not as just a severe judge who's waiting for me to mess up. It began to change my life. It changed the life of our children. It's changing the lives of our grandchildren, of our brothers and sisters. There's transformation that's happening. Let me tell you, as a dad, I long for the time that I get to spend with my children and my grandchildren. But if God was to say, would you rather have a few more years of experience with your children or would you place your life in my hands and allow me to work my perfect will in such a way that means you're going to be separated for a while but you not only get to spend all of eternity with them, they begin to discover a love relationship and an intimacy with me like they'd never imagined. I can tell you as a father, I would say yes in a heartbeat. That's the deepest prayers that I have for my children and my grandchildren. I don't understand why God took him, but I can see how he worked it for good. And the same is true in your life and your relationship if you'll look and see how God is transforming. So that's the first thing is we need to look in and see how God wants to change us. He is at work in the midst of our trials, of our difficulties. Secondly, we need to look up. We not only need to look in to see what he's doing, but we need to look up because he promises he will help us. His spirit is praying for us. Um, And it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. He wants us to experience victory even in the times of great despair and trial. But we need to look up and see who he is. Thirdly, we need to look past the problem. God is working for your good and to show his greatness. That's what the rest of the chapter of chapter 8 is all about. That it's able to be able to look past the immediate circumstance and see how God is working in the midst of this to ultimately bring glory to his name and to change you and I into the likeness of his son, Jesus. We have his word and his promise on it. In despair, we need to look past the problems to see how God desires your good. He desires what is ultimately best for you and for your family. And by faith, we embrace his love and his goodness. We need to give our trials time. 
We need to choose to walk by faith and hold on to the promises and believe that, yes, in our lifetime and beyond, we will see God's goodness and we will see him take those trials and turn them into something that is good. And then finally, when you're in the midst of despair, perhaps the most helpful thing to do is to look back. We need to look in to see what God is doing in us. We need to look up and remember who God is. We need to look past the circumstances to see how God is working for our good. And most importantly, we need to look back. God has already proven his goodness towards you. When you cannot see what God is doing, look back to what he has already done. He has proven his love for you in Jesus He has proven that he cares for you. In the passage, we're reminded that God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? God has proven his love for you and for me. Look back and remember his goodness. I put in your, in your notes just a little worksheet where it's a looking back spiritual exercise. I want to encourage you this week to spend just a few moments with the Lord and to look back and list some of the things that God has given you and, and, and write down what they mean to you. He's given you life. He's given you salvation. He's given you creation, family, protection, provision, transformation, forgiveness, freedom, his word, his Holy Spirit, his church, He's given us so many things, but when we're in the midst of despair, all we tend to see is the problem. But when we look back and remember the goodness of God, he will use that to lift our hearts and to fill us again with gratitude, which leads to hope. And hope, just like in that video, is the key that opens the door to the prison of despair. Henry Nouwen put it this way about looking back and exploring what God has done with gratitude. He says, gratitude goes beyond the mine and thine and claims the truth that all of life is a pure gift. In the past, I always thought of gratitude as a spontaneous response to the awareness of gifts received. But now I realize that gratitude can also be lived As a discipline, the discipline of gratitude is the explicit effort to acknowledge that all I am and all that I have been that has been given to me is a gift of love It is a gift to be celebrated with joy. Look back and remember what God has done. When we do those things, this promise will become more than words on a page. It will become a reality in our life. And we, I want, you to, I want you to see this one last thing. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know. God wants you to have certainty about his goodness. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Dear Heavenly Father,
thank you for your goodness that you have demonstrated through your son. Lord, I pray that you would take your word and you would ignite it in our hearts because your word is true. It is always true. By your grace, help us, Lord, in our times of despair to remember your goodness, to look in and see what you are working, to look up and see your character, to look past the circumstance and see how you are working not only in our lives, but in the lives of others for their good as well. And help us to look back and remember your faithfulness, your goodness, because, Lord, you are immeasurably good. Lord, I pray for each person here that you would speak into their hearts. Those who are, who are wrestling with, dis- with discouragement and despair, Lord, would you lift them this day? And as we prepare our hearts to, to come to the Lord's table, Lord, would you help us to remember your goodness? Because that's what the Lord's Lord's Supper is a picture of, of your faithfulness that you willingly gave up your son for us and with him will freely give us all things. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Help us to hold on to it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.